Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to open the truth of Scripture. Lord, to see the text for um, what it is, Lord, in, in light of our lives and in light of the circumstances in which we live. Lord, I pray you would help us to see clearly your truth. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you would help us to apply that truth to our lives, Lord, to be transformed more into the image of Christ. I pray, Lord, you'd keep us Lord, just free from distraction to be able to focus on you and to hear your word and to hear your truth. So your name could be glorified in all the earth. Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is week 10 of our Authentic Faith Sermon Series. This is the final week of this study through the book of 1 John. And we've been studying over the last many weeks, verse by verse, working our way through each chapter. And I told you at the very beginning that we began this series because one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that there are people within our church that live a fake life. People that may say all the right things, they may have all the right answers, they may even attend church regularly, they may look like a believer, but in their heart of hearts they know that their faith isn't real. And in the words we've been using over the last many weeks, they're very simply playing a game with God. And so we've opened up the truth of the Word of God through First John and we've examined our hearts, we've examined our faith, we've examined our walk, and we've seen that if we're to claim to be a believer... If we're going to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then we should bear fruit. There should be some evidence of a changed life. Now, we said that you should find yourself, hopefully, as we work through this study, in one of two places. The first place is you recognize that you are a believer. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But you've noticed in your life, as especially we've studied through First John, that maybe some things need to change. Maybe you need to spend more time studying the Word of God. Maybe you need to spend more time praying. Maybe you need to find a place of service. You recognize that you're a believer, but you know that maybe your priorities haven't been where they should be. That's the first group. But I believe with all my heart that there are other people. There's another group of people within our church and within churches all across America. And the second group of people recognize or realize that they're not really believers in Christ, they're not really followers of Jesus Christ. They've never had that moment where they, they repented of their sins and trusted in Christ as their Savior and as their Lord. And I want to encourage you and remind you that it doesn't really matter which of those two groups you find yourself in. It doesn't really matter where you find yourself this morning. The only way you're going to change your life, the only way you're going to see actual change and a difference in your life is through the power of Jesus Christ working in your heart. If you think for one moment you can change what you're doing through your own power or through your own strength, you're mistaken. And you'll kind of, as the saying goes, beat your head against the wall in frustration because you can't quite figure out why things aren't changing. And so we're going to delve into scripture this morning that's going to help us understand exactly what an authentic faith ought to look like. And it's my hope, and it's my prayer, and it's my heart That maybe for the first time ever in your life, that through this series and maybe even through this sermon this morning, that you'll recognize the need for a true, real, genuine, authentic faith in your life. 
So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open up to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, it's the final chapter in the book of 1 John. It's our final sermon in this series. So let me just kind of explain to you where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. Next Sunday morning is an exciting morning for us because it's VBS. When you come in here next Sunday morning, trust me, all this will look different. We'll decorate for VBS. And so if you're involved in Sunday school, you need to know that next Sunday morning at 9.30, there'll be one adult Sunday school in here only. Don't go to your normal classrooms. If you do, you're going to be in there with third grade boys or second grade girls or some group of people that you're not familiar with. Now, you're welcome to stay and serve. My instinct is you'll probably want to come in here with us. So we'd love to have you serve. But if you're planning on going to Sunday school next Sunday morning, come in here at 9.30. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll have our normal worship service. The summer for me is very exciting. I've been praying a lot about the summer and a lot about the fall. And we're going to begin a series on June the 9th called Into the Unknown. And it's going to be the examination of a deep walk and a deep understanding of exactly who God is in our lives and how we get to that point. I'm going to argue in that sermon series through the summer that there is a path to the holiness of God that most people miss. They're unknown in their life. And we're going to talk about what that ought to look like. But today we're going to delve into 1 John for the final time. And so we'll begin this morning, 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the scripture teaches. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. By the way, you ought to underline that. That's a truth that every believer ought to understand. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's very interesting to me because John has kind of taken the, the beginning part and really through the chapter 5, all the chapter, all of chapter 5 in 1 John, and he's kind of summarized some of the things we've already seen in the study this past few weeks. And so he's going to take some of the truths that we've already seen, some of the truths that we've already studied, and he's going to remind us of those truths, beginning here in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, there's a foundation upon which he's built the book. There's a foundation upon which we're going to build this sermon this morning. It's the first truth from this text I want you to understand. No matter what you believe about faith, no matter what you believe about church, no matter what you believe about the Word of God, there's one truth we need to build everything else upon. It's this. Number one, we must confess Christ as our Savior and Lord in order to receive salvation. I want to be very clear about this. There is no other path to heaven other than through Christ. Now, we can talk about our growth in Christ, we can talk about prayer, we can talk about service, we can talk about faith, we can talk about fellowship, we can talk about all those things, and all those things are very important, and we need to understand those things. And those things certainly are a part of our life. But we can't talk about those things unless we're first a follower of Jesus Christ. Unless we have first received Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Now, I want to stop here just for a second because it's so easy in the church, especially for those of us who've been in church all of our life. It's very easy for us to come upon this truth of salvation and just graze right over it, right? We just jump right past it because we've seen it so much. We're so familiar. We've heard it so many times, but I want you to stop just for a moment. I want you to examine your heart. I want to stop for just a moment, and I want to be clear about this. I want to be sure of your salvation, 
I want you to be sure that there has been a moment in your life where you have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the Bible's clear. The Bible's clear about salvation. In fact, if you were to read through the Gospel of John, John says the same sorts of things in his Gospel. In fact, one of the most... Uh, one of the, 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 the ones that we'll recognize more than anything else is John chapter 3, 6. One of the verses we've seen and probably memorized as a child is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, you'll be familiar with this passage of Scripture, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen to verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. We've got, to conf- we've got to recognize our sin. We've got to confess our sin. We've got to recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross to take the place of our sin. Then we've got to trust Jesus Christ with our lives. But here's where confusion comes in for a lot of people. There are a lot of other people and a lot of other traditions in the world that will teach some other truth. And they'll say something like this to you. There, there, there are really a lot of paths to heaven. There are really a lot of ways to receive eternal life. There there are really a lot of paths to God. And I think sometimes people in the church begin to buy into that lie. And they may even believe something like this. They they, they may even in their minds think, you know, if if I just attend church enough, that will get me to heaven. That's not what the Word of God teaches. They may believe if they're just faithful to go to a Sunday school class on a regular basis, they'll receive eternal life. That's not what the Word of God teaches. They may believe if they're just nice. I hear this from so many people when I talk about salvation with someone. They'll say something like this. Well, you know, I just, I just hope that I've got enough good works when I get to heaven, right? I just hope I've done enough good stuff. And when I, when I get to the pearly gates, right, they'll say, or when I get to heaven, God will kind of weigh my good and my bad. And as long as I've got more good deeds than bad deeds, I'll get into heaven. You need to understand something. That's a lie. That's not the truth of the Word of God. You may think that's the case, but that's not what the Scripture teaches. If we're going to be honest with each other, we're going to be honest with what the Word of God says, we need to understand that salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. You say, well, I believe in God, right? And I believe in who God is. Well, let me remind you of James chapter 2, verse 19. Here's what the Bible says. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's not enough just to act nice. It's not enough just to believe in God. It's not enough just to attend church. You've got to receive Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior if you're going to receive salvation and spend eternity with God in heaven. That's the truth of what the Word of God teaches. But there's a danger here. And there's a danger that has, I'm afraid, infiltrated a lot of our churches here in America. Here's the danger. The danger is that the Bible teaches... That because there is confusion about salvation, that there will be believers in the church. There will be true converts to Christianity found within the church. But within the church and growing among those people will be weeds or tares or non-believers. That's what the Word of God teaches. You're saying, so you're telling me that the Bible says that within churches there are going to be people that are believers. And right along beside those people are going to be unbelievers. That's what the Word teaches. You say, where does it teach that? Well, Matthew chapter... 13, beginning in verse 24, Jesus tells them this parable. Here's what Christ says. The kingdom of heaven is like this, he says. A man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you sow, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Christ says, an enemy did this, 
And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Now, Christ is going to later explain to his disciples that he's talking about believers and non-believers. Growing together as weeds and wheat. Here's the answer Christ says. We don't need to pull them up. Why? Verse 29. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. It's a very clear picture of what Christ says will happen within the church if we're not very careful. There will be those that are true believers and there will be those that are not. So I want to just pause one more time and be sure that we're clear. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you are not a Christian. But here's the beautiful part about salvation. Because a lot of us get to this point, a lot of people get to this point and they begin to think about salvation. They begin to think about confessing their sins and following Christ. And they come to this realization in their life. They say things like this, you you just don't know all I've done. (laughs) You just don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't even know what's going through my brain this morning. If you knew that, you wouldn't say to me that God can forgive sins. I've just done so many things wrong. I've made so many mistakes. But here's the beautiful teaching of Scripture. Because of what Christ did for us. Because of the gift that he gave on the cross, we can receive forgiveness from our sins. John says this. He said this on several different occasions. In fact, he told us very clearly in chapter 1 of 1 John, if we confess, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not within us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's the beautiful thing about confession. Here's the beautiful thing about forgiveness. With forgiveness comes freedom from bondage. You say, what what do you mean by bondage? I think so many people in our world are bound to sinful things and they may not even know about it. I have conversations with people on a pretty regular basis and they, they begin to talk to me about addictions that they have. They just can't seem to shake. They talk to me about lustful thoughts about behaviors, uh, about reckless things that they've done in their lives that are maybe wrecking their family, they're tearing their family apart. Or they're destroying their position at their work. Or they're giving them some sort of a feeling of hopelessness. I preached this sermon at 9.30 and I had a lady come stand right here after the service was over and tell me just a heartbreaking story of a young lady that she knows that's addicted to drugs and is bound to it and can't get out of it. She can't move past it. She can't move forward in her life. See, the the incredible thing about what Christ teaches and what the Word of God says is that through salvation, there is freedom from that bondage. Christ says in John chapter 8, verse 31, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, the, the world wants freedom. You know that? The world desires hope and change, and they look for it in all the wrong places. And so you can go into a bookstore, any bookstore, and you can walk up and down the aisles, and you can look at all the self-help books. You want to feel better about yourself? Read this book. You want to lose weight? Read this book. You want to get in shape? Read this book. And there are all sorts of self And all those things can be good, and all those things can be helpful to us. But at the core of who we are needs to be our salvation in Christ. It has to begin there. And true hope and true joy always stem from that. So I just want to be clear. Jesus says in John 14, 6, listen to what he says. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Apart from Jesus Christ and apart from confessing him as your Savior and Lord, there is no salvation. 
And I don't want you to be deceived. So let's move on through this passage of Scripture. Let's look at John 5, 1 through 5 again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Again, a picture of believing in Christ and a picture of our salvation. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commandments. In fact, I want you to listen to the clear teaching here. In fact, this is our love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's this clear teaching here. Not only that we need to confess Christ as our Lord and Savior, but secondly, we need to love and obey God in all things. That's how we show love. We can talk about love for God, and that's wonderful. We should do that. We can sit around and discuss in our Sunday school class what loving God ought to look like, and we should do that. But the Bible is clear. If we really want to love God, then we need to obey His teachings. Now let's be clear here. We need to obey the teachings of the Word of God, not what we think the teachings ought to say. There's a difference sometimes. It's very easy for us to kind of mold and shape Christianity into what we want it to be. And oftentimes we take God and we kind of make Him our best friend in the sky, right? And whatever we need, we're going to go to Him and He's going to help us. And we're going to give Him the to-do list of the things that we need in the form of a prayer request and a prayer list, and we're going to expect Him to fix those things for us. Now God wants us to pray to Him. And God wants to work in our hearts and work in our lives. But I think sometimes we miss this teaching of obedience. If you really want to love the Lord, then you need to obey what he commands. And as we begin to think about obedience and we, we begin to think about living for Christ, I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what John says. Whoever claims to live in him must, here's the clue, live as Jesus did. You want to talk about obedience and love to Christ? You need to look at Christ as your model. You need to see how he walked. You need to live as he lived. You need to walk in some of the places he walked and do some of the things that he did. And so we begin to think about Christ. And we begin to think about Christ's life. And we begin to think about how Christ lived. And we see that Christ did things that maybe we never do, like loving the unlovable. (laughs) It's very easy for us, if we were honest, to love those that are like us, isn't it? It's very easy to love the lovable It becomes a lot more difficult when we begin to love those that are not like us. It's a lot more difficult to love those people that don't look like we do, don't act like we do, don't say the same sorts of things that we say, but Christ did. One of the neat things about going overseas and experiencing another culture is that you recognize very early on in the process that God is the God of the nations, right? He's not just the God of rural LaGrange, (laughs) He's not just our God at Rosemont. He's the God of the nations. And when you go to another country, you recognize, you know, there are people that look differently than I look. They talk differently. They eat different things. The smells are different. The sights are different. It's all different. But you know what? Christ died on the cross for their sins just like he died on the cross for mine. And if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we we need to love the unlovable We need to offer hope and compassion to those that don't have hope and compassion. You know, the world's looking for hope. And they're looking for people to love them. And sometimes it's very easy for the Christian to stand within the walls of the church and love one another and never step outside of the walls. And never bring hope to the hopeless. And compassion to those that so desperately need the love of Christ. 
If we're going to think about love and we're going to think about obedience, we've got to think about how Christ lived. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36, when the people came to Christ and they said to him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. But the second commandment is like it. you remember what he says? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Christ is our standard there. If we're going to talk about loving the Lord and obeying the Lord, we've got to kind of see through the eyes of who Christ saw and live the way Christ lived and give ourselves to others. If we're going to claim to to know Him, if we're going to claim to love Him, if we're going to claim to follow Him, we need to walk as Jesus walked. But the interesting thing about Christ, if you study His life, is that Christ's life was characterized by obedience to the Father. That was what He did. And we begin to ask ourselves the question, why is obedience to God so important? I mean, why would God really be concerned about our obedience to him? Why would John say that in order to demonstrate our love to God, we should obey him? Why would obedience be so important? Because God wants us very simply to be different. He wants us to be set apart. And so you see this model all through the Old Testament with the children of Israel. When he said to them, I'm going to give you very specific rules I'm going to give you very specific guidelines. I want you to obey me and do the things I've commanded. Why? So you'll be different than all the other nations. God said, you are my people. I want you to be different. I want you to be holy. And so we read examples like Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, where God says to his people, now listen, he's speaking to us as well. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. Now watch this. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Christ says, you know what? You've been set apart as a believer. You need to be different. You need to obey. You need to love in ways that the world doesn't love. When people see you, they need to understand that there's something different about you. When people see you, they need to understand that Christ is important to your life. You need to be set apart from the rest of the world. I mentioned Washington, D.C. just a few minutes ago at the beginning of our service. And Washington is a place that I enjoy going. I've, I've had opportunity over the years to go on several different occasions. And there are a lot of neat things to see in Washington. If you've ever been in the Capitol, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, Jefferson, and, of course, the, the White House and the Vietnam War Memorial, the Korean War Memorial, now the World War II Memorial, and all the neat Smithsonian's. And there's, there's so many things to see. But probably one of my most favorite spots in Washington, D.C. is Arlington National Cemetery. Arlington is, is kind of the hallowed grounds, over 600 acres, four, I think 400 plus thousand graves now of men and women that have given their lives. And on Memorial Day weekend, they take a flag and they put a flag in front of every one of those little crosses. And they said, I, I read about it this week, they said they've got about 11 or 1,200 soldiers that go and do this. And they take these flags and they're exactly a foot and they're right in the middle of the cross. So they're, they're kind of standard all throughout. But of all the places within Arlington, and you can see a lot of neat things, Probably the top of my list is the tomb of the unknown soldier. If you've ever been to Arlington National Cemetery and you've seen the tomb, you'll understand that the tomb is guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can go and watch the changing of the guard and you can kind of watch how they march 21 times and they wait 21 seconds and turn and all kind of the the pomp and circumstance that goes with it and just the, the incredible history that goes with that place. And on that tomb in Arlington National Cemetery, the tomb of the unknowns, it says this. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. Now they could have buried these people 
without or throughout the, 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 the National Cemetery. I mean, there were other locations they could have buried them. They could have put them beside these other graves and just marked them as unknown. They could have done that. But they, they made this conscious effort decades ago that this was an important deal to our country. That this was important that we remember these fallen heroes. This was important that even though we don't know their names, we remember their services. You know what they did? They built this special tomb in this special location. There's these visitor stands where you can go watch it. It's a big deal. They set it apart. You understand that? And when you show up at the tomb of the unknowns, it's impossible for you not to recognize what a big deal this is. It's impossible for you not to understand this is really, really important what they're doing. This is an important ceremony. We're at a very important place. This is special. See, it, it kind of ought to be like that in our life with Christ. The Lord says to you, you are holy and I have set you apart. And when people see you and come into your presence, they ought to know something's different. They ought to know that Christ in your life is a big deal. They ought to know that he's important enough to you that you're living your life following him, loving him, obeying his teachings. But here's the problem with so many believers. And here's the problem with the modern church in my mind. One of the major problems that we have is that we have people that go to church regularly that claim to be a believer and then walk out in the world and live just like everybody else. And so they go to work and they don't, act any differently than anybody else and they don't speak any differently than anybody else and they don't have any different sort of habits or any sort of different lifestyle than anybody else and they're not set apart and they're not different and God isn't important in their lives and the the world looks at the people who claim to be believers and act just like the world and they think I don't really want to be a part of that there's nothing for me there but God says if you want to claim to be a follower of Christ if you want to walk as Christ walked you need to obey You need to do the things I've taught you. You need to love others in the name of Christ. We need to move on as we continue through this passage of Scripture. The next few verses talk about Christ and talk about the sacrifice that he made on the cross and all that he's done for us. And now we pick up in verse 18 of chapter 5, 1 John. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. Wow, what power in those words. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So John says we build this foundation on Christ. It's the same principle we've seen all through the book. We build this foundation on the salvation of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we we love him by obeying his commands. And then here's the third truth from this passage of Scripture. We must live our lives to honor and glorify God. Our lives need to be characterized by honoring and glorifying God in all things. Now, I want to challenge you guys. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up or even answer this thing aloud. But I want you to ask yourself a very simple question this morning. When you wake up every morning, do you challenge yourself with this question? Am I going to live my life today to honor God? Do we wake up every morning and ask ourselves this question? How can I honor Christ in the way that I treat my family before I go to work? How can I honor Christ in the way that I treat my wife or my husband? How can I honor Christ when I show up to work and the first few things I say to my boss or to my employees or to my coworkers? 
How can I honor Christ when we sit around the lunch table at work and we're having a conversation? How can I honor Christ when that first bad thing happens in the morning and I've got to do something about it? How can I honor Christ when I come home and I'm tired and I'm worn out and my wife says something to me that doesn't make me real happy or my child says something to me that doesn't make me real happy? How can I honor Christ then? How can I honor Christ when I'm tired and, and exhausted from a long day? How can I honor Christ that night in the things that I watch? How can I honor Christ in the things that I read? How can I honor Christ in the things that I say? How can I honor Christ in the way I conduct myself in my free time? How can I honor Christ when I know nobody else is looking? I bet we never ask ourselves those questions, do we? I bet every now and then we're reminded that we're supposed to live our lives for Christ and honor Him, but it doesn't happen on a very regular basis. And I bet it rarely happens when we're at that bad spot at work or when our wife says something to us we wish she hadn't said. See, the Bible is very clear. If we're going to claim to be a believer, then we should honor the Lord. We should bring Him glory in all things. And John uses some some interesting phrases here in the last part of chapter 5. He says that we should live free from sin, that we should live as children of God, that we should live in the truth, that we should live free from idols. In other words, he says we need to live in such a way that honors God. We need to live in such a way that brings glory to God. And and we, we think about who we are and who we ought to be, and we see Christ as our example. It's interesting to me, if you you study the life of Christ, Christ accomplished so many things, but at the core of who Jesus Christ was, was, watch this now, his desire to obey his Father. That's what he did. Over and over. I mean, he went to the cross in obedience to his Father. as out of love for us and obedience to his Father. And there's a perfect example of that. If you read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that he's about to be arrested. He's gone with his disciples to pray. He knows what's coming. He knows what he's about to endure. He knows what's about to happen to him physically and emotionally and spiritually. He understands that and he, he, he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the prayer, Lord, and if we put it in modern English, I don't want to have to go through this. I don't want to have to do this, Lord, yet not my will but your will. Translate that to modern-day America. Lord, I don't want to have to be kind to this person at work because they're really mean to me, but not my will, your will. I don't want to have to get up from the break room because somebody's speaking about things that I don't want to be a part of, Lord, but yet not my will, but your will. I don't want to hold my tongue when somebody says something to me at work, and I just want to spout back off to them, Lord, but yet not my will, your will. I don't want to have to listen to somebody nagging me at home when I get home after a long day's work, Lord, yet not my will, your will. Just imagine how our lives would change. Imagine how our work would change. Imagine how our families would change if we were interested in honoring, glorifying God in all the things we did. If we were interested in obeying him no matter what. I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Speaking of Christ, it kind of puts it in perspective for us as we think about his life. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming, here's the word, obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, Christ calls us to something more. He calls us to salvation He calls us to love him. He calls us to obey his teachings. He calls us to live a life set apart to honor and glorify him in all things. But here's my fear. My fear is that for whatever reason, there there are people even within this congregation that understand that they're not living their lives the way that Christ has called them to live. Maybe they're not a believer. Maybe they're not glorifying Christ. Maybe they're not honoring him. But for whatever reason, pride, fear, uncertainty, they're not sure how they're going to respond at work. They choose not to live that life. They choose instead the easy road. They're just going to blend in with everybody else. They don't want to be set apart. 
And they're not willing to allow Christ to work in their hearts and work in their lives. I want to finish this morning by challenging you one final time. I just want to be very clear about this. The Lord never promises to prompt your heart ever again. And he never promises to give you one other chance. But for all the things that we've studied over the last ten weeks and all the verses that we've read and all the truths that we've seen, it all boils down to this for you. You need to trust Christ with everything. And until you do that, you're never going to experience the hope and the joy that he desires for your life. Do you have authentic faith? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. We pray that, Lord, you would challenge us through the power of the Holy Spirit to examine our walk, Lord, again, just to be very clear about where we are. And if we are believers, Lord, I pray you give us the courage to Lord, do the things you've called us to do, to be the men and women of God you want us to be. If we're, if we're not a believer, Father, I pray you would just prompt our heart to accept you, Lord, to recognize our sinfulness, to recognize our need for a Savior. To see, Lord, that Jesus Christ took our place on the cross and died for our sins. And that we need to turn to him in repentance, Lord, and make him the Lord of our lives. I pray you would speak to our hearts, Lord. You would continue to, to work in our midst and, and move us forward to do your will in all things, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.